and every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise for who can stop the lord Yeah.
river of joy, the river of joy, the river is rising, 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 the river is rising, 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 the river is rising, 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 the river of joy, the river of joy. The Lord has given us freedom, given us freedom, given us joy. The Lord has given us freedom, given us freedom. some praise he's worthy amen we serve an awesome god hey let's just take a moment and invite god's presence to come into this place a little bit closer father we just thank you this morning lord we thank you for the opportunity to be able to be in your presence god lord we thank you to be surrounded by your people god and we pray this morning as we lift up our songs our worship to you god we pray lord that you would just come a little closer god Lord, we pray that there would be a sense of your, your presence in this place, God. Lord, I pray that as you come down, Lord, that you will minister and, and, and meet needs, Lord, of every person that's represented in this place, this, in this service this morning. God, we love you, we honor you, and we bless you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.
comes to your children, your fiercely defend us, till we stand delivered, you're fighting for us. fighting for us, but you never lost a battle. You never lost a battle, Lord. We serve a God that when he goes to battle with us, we'll come out victorious. Amen. Come on, let's just sing that one more time, Lord, that you won't hold back. We lift it up. We bless your name, Jesus. Because you won't hold back when it comes to your chin. this morning amen and we're going to continue to worship but the ushers are about to serve you with communion so if you can go ahead for a moment and take a seat but just keep your heart engaged in worship for the next few moments and on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sin 
As I continue to serve communion to you, I want to read Matthew 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, This is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of your sins. But I say to you, do not, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then they had sung a hymn, and they went to the Mount of Olives. A couple things as you're looking at these elements. That first of all, they were eating together. That was real communion. They were eating, they were fellowshipping, living life together. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. So when you look at these things, and he knew where he was going, but those guys didn't really know yet. And we have that revelation. I mean, he went to that rugged cross we just sang about. And at this bread here, this is his body that was broken for us. Those stripes he took on his back were for our healing. And so as we just pause, and, you know, it's very important what we do with our hearts during this time, that it's not just a religious thing we do, but this is a time to pause and say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Lord, is there anybody that I've hurt? Lord, I, I choose to forgive anybody that's sinned against me. This is our time to get our hearts right. So just take a moment and do that and as you just look at that bread. Lord, we just bless this bread. Take of the bread now in Jesus' name. And then he took the juice. He said, drink from it, all of you. And he said, this blood represents my new covenant. Say new covenant. I mean, the Old Testament, a list of rules and regulations that nobody could live up to. 
But now he puts those on our hearts and gives us the spirit to be able to do that out of love. And so we have a new covenant that says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. No matter where you're at, no matter who you are, we can come boldly. In the Old Testament, they couldn't do that. They couldn't even say the name Father, God. And we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We have a very great uh, health package. You know, we have a lot of benefits. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 103, it says, don't forget his benefits. He removes all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our lives from the pit. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. He renews our youth like the eagles. I mean, we got some great benefits. And I want you to remember that. And the thing I felt like he was really wanting to say to us this week is, he wants to commune with us, not just now, but through the rest of the week. Let this not be the end of your week. This, this day, Sunday, but let this be the first day of our week when we get to walk and talk with God the Father. Amen. And he said in uh, Corinthians, he said, as often as you drink this cup, eat this bread, proclaim the Lord's death until he's come. A reminder, he's coming back. I want to be about his business. We just sang about throwing crowns down. You know, when this is all over, depending on what you've done, you're going to have a crown. And some of you are going to have crowns with lots of jewels in it. And that's kind of been my challenge lately, thinking about that. Man, and we no more can get that crown, what are we going to do? We're going to throw it at his feet. And, man, it's more of a challenge to me. Man, I want a nice crown to throw at his feet. Amen? So until he comes, he's coming back. Let's commune with him all week long. Lord, bless this drink in Jesus' name. Now let's sing a hymn like they did. And let's really worship and commune with him in Jesus' name.
Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. Election Day for Texas residents is March 5th. 
And if you would like some great information to help you become a more educated voter, you can pick this up in our foyer. A Christian movie presented by the Voice of the Martyrs, Tortured for Christ, has one showing on Monday night, March 5th at 7.30 p.m. at Cinemark Theater, looking back on the life of Pastor Richard Wormbrand. Our weekend volunteers are a vital part of our church. If you volunteer or want to, we're having a Dream Team Vision meeting the weekend of March 10th and 11th after Saturday night and Sunday second service in the Connect Cafe. Volunteers, be sure to attend. March 23rd and 24th, we're hosting a Sozo training for anyone who is interested in being trained on how to properly minister and promote inner healing. The cost is $100, and if you would like more information, contact our church office. The journey of life can be difficult and confusing. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help make your journey clear by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you grow and stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or anyone wanting to get more involved. It's a four-week class to help you learn about the church, get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life 4-Week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The 4-Week Freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The Becoming a Person of Influence class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, and your home. Between our Connect, Spirit-Filled Life, Freedom, and Becoming a Person of Influence classes, there is a Wednesday night class for everyone. Well, amen. Good to see everybody here this morning. Good to be here. Amen. Good. You know, our goal is to help you connect to God friends, ministry, in the world. And one way to connect to friends and everybody else is our Connect class. There's an information card in the back there. If you'd fill that out, people get in contact with you. You can drop it off at the Connect room and get your free gift. Or now, electronically, you can text visitor to this long phone number here, and then they will give you a couple prompts. Pretty soon that little card will show up, and you can fill it all out, and you'll keep current with everything that's going on. Like the Connect class this Wednesday night at 6.30, four weeks long. Learn your spiritual gifts, learn about the church, and just a great chance to get connected and learn about the church. Amen. How many people know what this Tuesday is? Taco Tuesday. It's voting day in Texas. Uh, there's a big primary election. You want to make sure that you turn out to vote. Uh, as you leave in the foyer, we have all sorts of information on different candidates, also a sample ballot. Listen, we want our voice to be heard, right? Amen. I mean, you also saw about the movie Tortured for Christ. It's this week, and you can't get tickets at Cinemark. You have to get them here, and they've already been purchased. So it sounds like it's a great movie if you saw the trailer last week. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, looking at verse 7 for our offering. But are you glad to be here this morning? Tell there's no better place than, the, than to be in the house of the Lord. Here's what this familiar verse says. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, say cheerful, giver. Any cheerful givers in the house today? 
Amen. Hey, you know, a few days ago, as we all know, one of the greatest evangelists of our day, Billy Graham, passed away at 99 years old. Uh, anybody used to listen to him uh, on TV, or did you ever go to a crusade? I can remember 18 years old, I went to one of his crusades. It was just amazing. But Billy Graham's life was a testimony just to how faithful God is. He ministered to millions and many, millions of people. Millions of people made steps to Christ through him. But look what he says in regards to giving tithes and offerings. This is Billy Graham. He says, we found in our own home, as have thousands of others, that God's blessing upon the nine-tenths when we tithe helps it go further than the ten-tenths without his blessing. Listen, what Billy Graham is saying is when we give that 10%, it sounds crazy, but the 90% blessed goes further than 100% not blessed. And I think a lot of us in here that tithe, we get to test of that. I don't know how it happens, but God touches it and he blesses it. You know, when you think about tithing, it really comes down to two things. Number one, it's being obedient to God. God has called us from the Old Testament to the New Testament to bring the first fruits, bring our tithe, that 10% of whatever we make, and return it to the storehouse. Then he tells us to bring offerings that are above that. But the second thing when it comes to tithing is trust. Listen, we have to trust God. That's what this life is all about. You know, I found out sometimes in my life, sometimes it's easier to trust God in big things. Think about salvation. We trust God for eternal salvation. We receive Christ through faith. But other times in smaller things than that, such as giving or tithing, sometimes we lack faith. Well, I don't know how I'll make it. Listen, if we can trust God in big things, we can trust God in all things. So as the ushers are getting ready to come forward, listen, it's the first of March. Let's give God our best gift. Let's be cheerful today. And let's be like Billy Graham and millions of other people that have been obedient in tithing. Amen? God bless you as you give. Let's all stand and sing it together. I am a child of God. Oh, 
Let's slip our hands to heaven as we sing it. Thank you, Lord. A child of God. You know, the Bible, we were not born a child of God. How many know we were born again as a child of God? When I was born, I had the seed of Adam in my soul. Adam had sinned, and though God loved me in my innocence, I was still separated from God. But when we receive Christ as our Savior, we're born again. And God becomes more than our Creator. He becomes our Father. And how many know when you're a little child, there's nobody else that can take care of things like Daddy? If it's a storm outside and the, and the sirens are going off, I mean, if you get in Daddy's lap and Daddy holds you, you know it's going to be okay. Well, our Heavenly Father is just like that to us. How many know He's worthy of our praise? Could you just take just a moment and just tell Him, just close your eyes and just say, Lord, I love you today. See, this is what worship is about. Worship is not just singing. Worship is expressing our love to God. It's receiving his kindness and his goodness. It's giving him our weakness and receiving his strength. It's giving him our fears, our discouragement, our shame, our condemnation, and receiving the freedom of his forgiveness. Welcome today, Holy Spirit. But we just want to pray for all of us today that there would just be a growing awareness that God is real and that God is near and that God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. So we say this morning, we love you, and we welcome you in this place. I just pray as we open our Bibles, we would literally be hearing the literal words of God. And Lord, you would anoint my mouth to speak and our ears to hear what the Holy Spirit saying to the church. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Hey, tell your neighbor, you're in the right place this morning. And you may be seated. Well, listen, as we're starting today, I want to recognize a special friend this morning. Linda Threadgill is with us. Linda, why don't you stand up? Linda and her husband, Jay, are pastors at Church on the Rock in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And over the last 25 years or so, they have birthed, what, 26, I think, congregations in the outlying uh, region, multiplied thousands of Haitians are worshiping this morning because of their ministry. And we're honored to have you. They have Christian schools across the nation. And something that I do every week, I don't know if you know these little Haiti cans. There's one here. There's a great big one here. But this is the best way I know if you care about feeding poor people, if you care that your money goes 100% to be able to feed the poor, because let me know, in Matthew 25 on the judgment day, Jesus is going to recognize those that have fed poor people, hungry people, just as if they were feeding Christ. And uh, you can feed a kid down there for 30 cents a day. Think about that. So in one of those outlying little schools, for a $10 bill, you can basically feed a whole school for a day. My wife and I give to this every week, and we also have this little can at home, and I put all my change in it. When it fills up, I bring it, and 100% goes there. But we're honored to have you, and we appreciate the work that you and your husband are doing there. Hey, great to have you this morning. I missed being here last week. I was visiting my wife, and I went to visit uh, my son and daughter-in-law and my grandson in Rogers, 
And uh, as I was going up there, a friend of mine sent me a text and said something like, boy, it's great to have a grandson. You can just teach him, you know, what you know. You can teach him about the Bible. You can teach him about fishing, about gardening and things. But it never dawned on me that the first conversation I'd have have to have with my six-month-old grandchild is about girls. (laughs) Let me show you this picture that I saw. Here's what he told me. He said, Pops, this little girl called, actually her mom called my dad and said they were in Rogers and they needed a babysitter. Could she come over? Apparently she'd seen me on Facebook, knew I was cute and handsome and going to be successful one day. But I want you to show another little picture. Here was my concern. Get a little closer on this one. She's holding his hand. And I didn't quite know how to tell him to respond to the aggressiveness of a six-month-old little girl. So if you have any advice on that, you can, uh, you can let me know. Just teasing. Hey, Psalm 46, one. Uh, Psalm 46, one. the series is called Faith Book. And it's kind of a take on Facebook, the popular social media program. But Faith Book is basically, for the last next few weeks, it's going to be portraits of faith, of biblical characters in times of trouble. In other words, we're going to look at people in the Bible and we're going to try to learn some very practical lessons about how they dealt with trouble. I see the little girl's dad and mom on the front row over here. Yeah, we're going to have to have a conversation after church today. (laughs) Anyway, Psalm 46, verse 1. Here's the text. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength. In other words, God is like a storm shelter. God is not just ethereal. He's not just a figment of our imagination. He's more than the words on the pages of a a holy book. God is a real God. And in the deep place of my soul, I can find a refuge when a storm comes. I can find strength when I feel weak. When I feel helpless, there's a helper. When I am needing comfort, there's a comforter. This is our God. And the Bible says that God is a very present help in trouble. Which literally means that God is there for us in the midst of trouble. That God is not just a, 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 a theological dissertation, but God is a real spiritual being and God wants to assist me when I go through trouble in life. And friends, we'll all have trouble. Jesus even warned us in, in uh, John's gospel. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. If you've been a Christian any length of time or if you've just lived on earth any length of time, you know you battle the trouble of sickness, you battle trouble at work. This week I saw in the newspaper that some 600 people at Red River will be losing their jobs. How many know that's trouble? How many know trouble filters through our world? You can have trouble in your marriage. If you've ever known the pain of a spouse coming home and says, I'm tired of living with you, I don't love you anymore. How many know that's trouble? It's trouble when... A child tells you they no longer believe in God. How many know trouble is a part of this world, but how many know God is bigger than our trouble? And God is there to help us in the midst of our trouble. And this very practical series is what I want to do. Uh, The first message, we talked about an Old Testament king, if you can remember. His name was Jehoshaphat. And his trouble was the fact it almost came in an instant. It was a crisis. An invading army was coming to basically destroy Jehoshaphat and all the nation of Israel, and it was a crisis. We entitled the message, uh, What to Do in a Tight Spot. And we talked about how spiritual people manage a crisis. A crisis happens in the doctor's office, God forbid, but if he or she says, You have cancer, 
How many know that's a crisis? How many know a crisis comes suddenly? A crisis comes with a phone call in the middle of the night that says someone you care about has been taken to the hospital. Well, a crisis is a little bit different than what I'll talk about today. This morning I want to talk about a trouble that lasts a long time. Usually a crisis finds resolution pretty quickly. But for trouble that lasts a long time, it's very different because our faith is tested almost daily. Uh, We're going to learn a lesson from the life of Joseph. We're going to learn what it means to have enduring faith when trouble comes. Now, let me read you four scriptures that basically summarize Joseph's story. He starts out as a 17-year-old boy and ends up as the ruler of Egypt when he's about 30. But listen to these verses. Genesis 37, 5, Joseph had a dream. This dream was from God. He said, we, he and his brothers binding sheaves of wheat in the field, his sheaf rose up and stood upright, and he said, your sheaves, brothers, bowed down to mine. It was a picture, it was a dream that one day his brothers would bow down to him. But how many know at 17 it didn't happen? Verse 23 said his brothers got jealous and they threw him into a cistern or a well where you drew water from. It was an empty, dry well. They got mad, they wanted to kill him, and they said, for now we'll throw him in this pit. And this young man began a journey that lasted 13 years. He went from a pit, he went as a slave, he walked into Egypt. He was sold as a slave in Potiphar's house. He lived a good life. God promoted him in Potiphar's house, but Potiphar's wife tried to hit on him. Once again, he did the right thing, a good thing, and he said no, but she, because she felt rejected and scorned, she sold her husband, you tried to rape me, and her husband throws him in prison. And he's in prison, the Bible says, for two long years waiting for God. And the next verse, it says in Genesis, uh, Genesis 41, Joseph is in prison. Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh said, I had a dream last night. And I've heard, Joseph, that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. And this next verse is perhaps the pivotal verse of the series. It says, it's beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means. And what this tells me after 17 years of wondering why did the trouble come? Where is God? Why did this happen? He'd somehow be able to transcend all those thoughts and keep a strong faith in God. There was no sense of pride. There was no sense of hurt or anger towards God. But he said, God can tell you what the dream means. And just like that, verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. It's an incredible story. And as the story unfolds, of course, his brothers come to him in the famine. And indeed, during the famine, they come to him and they bow down before him. And God's dream is fulfilled and he cares for the world. So here's my question. It's one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. But how did he stay spiritually strong for 13 years? He had no church family. The end of our service today, there'll be opportunity for you to, if you need prayer, you can come and someone will pray for you. Last night, uh, people, uh, uh, a young woman at the end, she talked about her marriage problems and with tears in her eyes, she'd filled out a prayer card. She said, Pastor, will you pray for me? I said, be honored to. Joseph didn't have that. Joseph was a Hebrew. He believed in Yahweh. He was a believer in the one true God, Jehovah. But he was surrounded by pagans who worshiped the Nile River and worshiped Pharaoh. No church family, no Christian music, no Bible, but he kept strong faith. And this is what I want to teach you about today, how we can learn some lessons. The only problem is Joseph doesn't tell us how he did it. But I want to, this today, if I can take a little liberty and pretend a little bit, I want to pretend that Joseph had a smartphone 
And Joseph is in a chat group with a number of biblical characters throughout history. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of do a little bit of pretending, but we're going to try to find some advice from some other key biblical characters. We're going to talk about uh, uh, what David's advice he got from the persisted widow. We're going to talk about advice he got from David, from Abraham, from James the Apostle, and from Zechariah and Elizabeth. I think we'll have a little fun with it today, but I've called the message Chat Room, and uh, I hope it'll speak to you. Let's go to Luke chapter 18, and let's see the first text. Now, I want to remind you that Joseph is in a pit or a prison, but let's imagine just a moment. He's in a pit. His brothers have thrown him in there. It's empty. There's spiders and creepy crawlers, and all of a sudden, his phone beeps, And it's a message from the persistent widow. See here, Joseph. Joseph said, I'm living in Egypt now. I'm sorry, he's in the the prison by now. And he said, I don't want to talk about it. But the persistent widow said, Joseph, you keep the right attitude and you don't give up no matter how long you have to wait. Let me say it again. This persistent widow said, Joseph, it's all about your attitude. It's all about you believing right. It's all about you holding on to faith and not your feelings. Here's what she said, Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should yeah, always pray and never give up. So why did Jesus say that? It's because when difficulty comes, our first response is to give up. I mean, we might pray a little bit, but how many know 13 years is a long time to wait? There was a judge, and then Jesus tells a story, and this is... One of the stories that Jesus would tell, it's a bad example, I mean, it's a, it's a bad example with a good ending. In other words, Jesus is going to use a contrast here, and the bad example is the behavior of the judge. But verse 2, Jesus said, uh, there was a judge, and a widow came to him. See, when I do this, I want you to tell me what's on the screen, okay? <laughs> it came to him repeatedly. In other words, this picture, God is going to be the judge with different character, but this widow is how we're supposed to be. Now, a widow in their day had virtually no rights. Women were shamefully treated in their day, a very sad thing, but in that era of time, women didn't have the rights that men do, not because it was the right thing to do, it was just the culture of the day. Uh, If she didn't have children to take care of her, there was no social security net. Uh, She didn't have pressure and political push and power if she didn't have money. So here's a poor widow that's having to basically stand on her own. But she comes to the judge repeatedly saying, give me justice and this dispute with my enemy. And verse 4 said the judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. He said, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Now, if you can imagine this woman, how many know when you're desperate, you'll do desperate things? Let's say he, this judge got up and I don't know if he rode his camel to work or if he walked or if he had a chariot he rode in. But before he went in the door of the courthouse, there she is every day. And she said, Judge, she actually probably caught him on the sidewalk. And she said, Judge, could you please take just a minute for me today? I know your schedule's busy, but listen, Judge, I've got a deed right here. It's a warranty deed. It shows that I I own the property and they've taken it away from me. And they're not paying me any rent on my land. The judge says, I don't have time to fool with you. 
And he walks inside. The judge gets ready to go to lunch. It's Taco Tuesday. And he normally comes out the front door, but somebody says she's been out there all morning and she knows when the lunch bell rings, she runs around to the back. She says, Judge, could I just walk with you? Could I walk with you and talk with you? I can't afford to buy you lunch, but Judge, I need some help. And she did this day after day after day after day. There was no pressure. There was no bribe. But this judge said, enough. I'm going to give you what you want because of your persistence. This word persist means to continue steadily and firmly in a pursuit. It is to persevere even by being obstinate almost. It's in your face. Now, God said this, verse 6. The Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. What he's going to say in contrast is, listen, this judge was not a good judge, but he still did the right thing. Notice what it said, verse 6, the Lord's, uh, verse 7, the judge rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God, a good God, is going to surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? It's one thing to pray in the morning when you get up. It's another thing to pray in the middle of the night because you're desperate. So here's what Judah persisted. And Jesus asked the question, will he keep putting them off? The answer is no. He's going to grant them justice quickly. But here's the great question. When the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who really have faith? In other words, when the Lord returns to the earth, it will be a time of trouble as the world has never known before. People will have been crying out for God for long periods of time. It will not be a time of comfort and happiness and joy. It will be a time of heartache, of persecution, of tribulation. And Jesus said, will there be enduring faith on the earth? So this is the message. Uh, It's a good lesson from a bad example about endurance, about persistence. Uh, I have a dog, uh, his, his name is Tucker, and, and, and if the dictionary wanted a picture of persistence, it would show my dog. You say, well, what are you talking about? This dog is, is an outside dog, but he has decided he wants to be an inside dog. And my wife has said no to every room except my mudroom. Well, this dog, if a storm is coming, he knows it good 15, 20 minutes away, If I'm in my room laying in my easy chair, he comes and he starts scratching on the windowsill. And I don't care what I do, he's scratching on the windowpane. I said, Tucker, you go on. You're going to be fine. You're a big dog or whatever. I even threw water out the screen one time. Didn't matter. On and on. If I go in the other room to get away from him, guess who's sitting at the front door? First, he paws at the front door, and then he, he does this. He just sits there, and he tries to appeal to my sympathy. And I used to try to fight him and say, Tucker, it's 65 degrees outside. You need to be outside. And he'd still. And finally, I just said, listen, enough. As soon as he scratches now, I know he's going to win because he's persistent. I know he won't give up. I know, listen, unless I just put earplugs in my ears, he'll crash down the house. I let him in. And what God is saying is there's value in that as a Christian. Now, we're not persistent because God doesn't know our problems or because God is busy like the, like the phone operator puts us on hold. It's different. It's different. Jesus told us in Matthew 7 that we need to be persistent when we pray. You see, in the great battle to be overcome is the battle of your mind because when you're waiting a long time for God to move, the obvious question is why is this happening, God? At that point, you cannot let your feelings win the battle. You have to let your faith win the battle. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. But the problem in English is we don't have the same, same uh, tense of a verb as the, as the Greek language did. And in the Greek it said, Ask and keep on asking. 
Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Now listen, your circumstances, mine, they may not change for a while. You may endure trouble for a while for many reasons. For example, enduring trouble is often because of God's timing. For example, Zachariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, uh, they wanted to have a baby all of their life, but they had to wait over 25, it could have been to 35 years to have a baby, and they had no idea, but God was behind it, and it was a timing thing. Sometimes what burdens our heart is simply God is waiting for the right time. Other times it's spiritual warfare. The book of Job, many scholars believe Job's troubles lasted three or four years, but Job had no idea that the devil was behind it. It's clear to us as we read the pages, but he was under all-out assault. In his physical body, in his marriage, his kids were killed, uh, his money was taken away from him, and all this happened because Satan was out to destroy his life. And sometimes the spiritual attack is behind it. Other times it's because it's the mistake of other people. How many know if you're on the boat on the Mediterranean Sea with Jonah, how many know your boat is rocking like that and you give up hope of being saved? How many know it's nothing to do with you? It's everything to do with the person you're in the boat with. But the bottom line is no matter why trouble lasts a long time in our life, the most important thing, friends, is that we follow the example of the persistent widow and we hold on to faith. How many know that's exactly what Joseph did? And if Joseph can do it, we can too. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, let's go to the next uh, uh, person in this little chat room. His name is David. And notice what David told Joseph. David said this. David said, Joseph, you can find strength in the Lord when life is overwhelming. Can you imagine? Here he is in the prison. He'd done nothing wrong. Small prison cell. He walked around. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He prayed and he wondered, my God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? And at that perfect time... A co-laborer in the Christian faith, David, sent him a text. And David said, you can find strength in God when you're weak. You can find the ability to keep going when it's hard. I'll read you David's story. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men arrived at Ziklag. And the Amalekites, or the enemy, had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. Now I want you to imagine how you would feel today if, for example, you're going home after church today and... You hear sirens and, and, and there's a fire truck blasting its horn. And so you pull over to the side of the road and the fire truck rushes in front of you. And all of a sudden there's another one behind it. As you get closer to home, you can hear sirens and you see smoke on the horizon. Now, you'd gone to church, but your family stayed home today. Perhaps they were ill. And as you got close to home, you saw smoke that was there and your heart started beating a little faster. And the closer you got there, the more cars you saw around your house and before you knew it, it, your house was on fire and it was burned to the ground. How would you feel? And in their day, it was a whole village. It was all of their tents. It was all the belongings they had. And as they had been out warring and they'd been out fighting, they were coming back. They were tired. They were hungry. They were waiting to get an embrace from their children and their wife. They saw their whole village burned to the ground. Their first thought, they had no idea if their kids were dead or not. And as they rushed in each to their own home where their home was, and they found out to some expression of joy that, 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 their, that their, their family was not there, that their wife was not dead, and their kids were not dead, but they were gone. So that's the story that happened. How I many know that's trouble? And they carried off, verse 2, the women and children, they didn't kill anyone. But David and his men realized what happened to their families, and they wept till they could weep no more. These strong warriors 
tough men. I don't know how long it takes to weep till you have no power to weep. I don't know if it was a half a day. I don't know if, if it was over a couple days, but they had just wept until there were no more tears. David now was in great danger because the men were bitter. In their grief, they became angry and they began to talk of stoning him to death. But this next phrase is paramount. Say it with me. David found strength in the Lord his God. He found strength. He found a supernatural capacity that he did not have. And I want to tell you, the same God who strengthened David was the same God who strengthened Joseph is the same God who can strengthen you and I. David told Joseph he'd been all alone, just like him and overwhelmed, but he found God in his darkest moment. He wrote in the book of Psalms, Psalm 61, Hear my cry, O God. From the end of the earth I cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. That's higher than I. I don't care how harsh the storms are. That northeaster that they had in, around Washington where over 2,000 flights were canceled. And the turbulence was in the air. And the waves were crashing. Yet great rocks in the ocean stood there in defiance of the waves. Waves that had the power to destroy ships. Wind that had the power to knock an airplane out of the air. But that rock stood stable and firm. My friend, Christ is that rock for us. But how do we find strength in the Lord when life is overwhelming to us? See, the problem is David didn't tell us what he did. All we know in the scripture is David found his own strength. He didn't just have the power of positive thinking. He didn't just jack himself up. He didn't tell himself. He didn't just read something from a self-help book. He connected with God. It's as if, it's as if uh, I don't know, if you have a, a, a flashlight. It's got rechargeable batteries. Let me know they're great until they're empty. And it's the time when you need the flashlight the most is when the light is often the dimmest. But if you'll take that flashlight or that power tool that you have, and if you'll plug it into the electric power source, come on, man, you know what I'm talking about, the little uh, handheld drill, and you can't do anything with it, and you're too lazy to do that anymore, but you take that thing and you put it in the charge, and all of a sudden it goes zoom, 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 zoom. That's exactly what God can do for your life. He can recharge us. I don't know what David did exactly. I don't know what Joseph did exactly. But I tell you what I do in life's dark moments. Perhaps the most important thing I do is I just take my Bible and I find a quiet space and I begin to seek God. If I have an impression to read somewhere, I'll read. If I don't, I'll read through the book of Psalms. And I just start reading because there's so much human emotion there. There's a man that's experienced all of it. After I've taken some time to read a while, I take some time to just walk around on a prayer walk with God. I don't know where you go, but I don't need music. I don't want to be around anyone else. In my own driveway, I've got kind of a circular drive. It makes a loop. It's gravel. It's about maybe 80 yards. And I just walk that little circle until I find the peace of God again. Sometimes I might walk it 10 minutes. Other times I may be out there an hour. Sometimes I'm talking when I'm out there. Other times I'm just looking around and seeing God's majesty. I'm seeing daffodils who were dead, but I see them come back to life. I see the cycle of life repeating itself. I see the buds on the oak tree. I see the flowers beginning to bloom. And, and, and as I just take in what the Creator's done, I know He's my Father and He cares for me. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Listen, this is what I do in my own life. I, I get alone with God. I build a personal altar of, of praise. What do you mean, Pastor? When I'm doing this little walk around, I begin thinking about what God has done for me before. When I'm in life's dark moments, I, I, I go back and I remember what it was like when Linnell's doctor told her she had cancer. 
I remember what it was like when we sat in the, the, in the doctor's office and after, uh, it, with our third child, and that child had died in her womb. I remember when the nurse tried to find it, and we just felt like God had abandoned us. But we came out on the other side of it, and one day Rebecca was born. And I think about what God did, and guess what? In that altar of praise, I thank God that he did it before, and he'll do it again. See, as I build this altar of praise, I come to the house of the Lord. I come for prayer. When there's a prayer team up front, I, I, I'm believing that, that God is going to speak to me, that God's going to do something, that God's going to do something in my worship in my church. When I'm discouraged and when I'm down, I try to find someone who walks close with God, and I just call them and say, can I talk with you? I want to tell you, friends, you can find strength in God. God is a good God, and God's not going to leave you in a weak, dark place. How many know the God that delivered Joseph is the same God that delivered us? Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Let me give you a third conversation. It's Abraham. I want you to go to Genesis 16. Abraham said this. Now, the great, the great father of faith, Abraham said this. He said, wait on God's timing, Joseph. Don't force the situation. Let's read this story. Genesis 16, Abraham knew what it meant to wait. 75 years of age, God gave him a promise that he was going to have a child. And this child would give birth to a progeny that would be like the, the sands of the seashore. Only problem is that Abraham is 99. He's 100 years of age before he has this baby Isaac. And he had to wait, say it with me, 25 long years. Faith. The process of faith, the purposes of God are more like a crock pot than they are a microwave. I want God to do it and do it right now, but sometimes the process of faith is a journey, and sometimes the trouble lasts a long time. Let me read this story. In Genesis 16, Sarai, Abram's wife, she'd not been able to bear children, but she had a servant named Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now, how many know if God's prevented you from having children, you don't need to do anything to help it along a little bit? And she told her dumb husband, and not many dumb husbands would say no to a wife that made that offer. Are you with me today? Come on. It was stupid, but he did it, and they knew that it was wrong in the midst of it. Verse 4, Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. What's the story, Pastor? Abraham got tired of waiting on God. And, and, and at someone close to him, his wife's urging, he took matters in his own hands, and it was a huge mistake. The son born was named Ishmael. And Ishmael's conflict would grow when Isaac was finally born... The two could not live together, and the two separated. And the modern-day conflict today between Arabs and Jews stems from guess where? It stems from Ishmael and Isaac. Even the Muslims, even the, Jew, the Arabs, they look to Abram, Abraham as their spiritual father, but they don't believe Isaac was the promised child. They follow their lineage through Ishmael. So whenever you see in Israel today, we're about to move, hopefully, under President Trump, our embassy to Jerusalem. I think that's a good thing. 
That's the, that's the, the, and they're all vying for this capital, this place of Jerusalem that once again in the last days will be where Christ returns. That's where Christ is coming back, you know. When he sets his feet on earth, the mountain in Jerusalem will split. Well, guess what? All the conflict that's here today is because Abraham tried to help God rather than waiting on God's timing. This is a huge lesson. It's hard to wait on God's timing when I want it now. We, w- listen, we want to we get ahead of God and make things happen but it caused more problems. How many know if your car is having problems and you just get tired of being sick and tired? Are you with me today? You had a car that just doesn't want to run right. Is there much you'd say amen to on a Sunday morning? <laughs> Most of us have had a car. Yeah, sure. And it just is not doing right. And before you know it, the new, new car bug bites. And I'm not saying don't buy the new car, but what I'm saying this you better pray about it because if when you get frustrated and you hadn't sought God, when you step on the new, on the new car lot, did you realize in the background, in the offices of all the car lots around town, the hallelujah chorus is praying. When those agents, listen, there are hundreds of them in town just waiting for you to come. And when they see you and you somehow say you're a Christian, I'm telling you what, they're your best brother or sister in Christ. Are you with me today? And before you know it, you have just bought a $50,000 vehicle that you're going to pay $700 a month for for the rest of your life. And you're going to feel like, look what the Lord gave me until six months comes along. And those kids have spilled ketchup on those new seats. It no longer has the new car smell. It's not the same when you spray it yourself. And then all of a sudden you've got ketchup spots on the seats and you can't make the house payment. Now, I'm not saying buying a new car is a bad or wrong thing to do. But I'm saying this, if it's not God's will for you, God could have a sweet cherry of a deal if you would just seek his face and wait and stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Listen, we try to make things happen. We try to force our kids. We force our spouse to do what we want them to do. We file lawsuits. Listen, it doesn't work. Here's a great promise in Isaiah 40. It says, they who wait for the Lord. Some translations say hope or trust. Uh, 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 the definition of this word means to stay where you are. To delay action. Until a particular time happens or a particular occurrence. Wait for the Lord and he'll renew your strength. You'll mount up with the wings like an eagle. You'll run and not grow weary. You'll walk and not faint. My friend, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do when you're in the prison. See, and Joseph was in that spot. And this is an awkward spot to be in. You remember when Joseph interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker? He interpreted those dreams and he told both those guys. He said, look, when you get out of here and the dream is fulfilled, I want you to make sure you tell Pharaoh so he gets me out. So listen, we're supposed to try to help ourselves. Don't get me wrong. But if you try to push it too far, if Joseph somehow was going to break out of prison or if Joseph was going to just start banging on the doors or if he was going to stop doing his job and start doing right so he could get somebody's attention. I mean, no, there's a line that we cross. At some point, we have to wait. Let me give you a couple more pieces of advice. Go to the book of James. James, the apostle, the brother of Jesus. Here's what he texts. Now, mind you, Joseph is in prison. He doesn't want to be there. And James sends him this simple reply. He says, trouble can develop your character and maturity. Now, how many know that's the stupidest thing he'd ever heard in a long time? That's the kind of response you want to go and delete the profile of whoever the nuts is that sent it to you. Are, are, Are you with me? 
Well, let me tell you why he said that. James chapter 1, verse 2. He said, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. It's as if they had legalized marijuana in James's town. How could trouble bring you great joy? Let me explain it to you. You know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. When your faith is tested, endurance can grow. So let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete or mature. The book of Romans adds this statement. Romans says, endurance produces character and character produces hope. So if you're looking for a formula here, trouble plus endurance equals hope and maturity. Trouble plus endurance equals hope and maturity. In other words, sometimes it takes trouble to go through the valley. Nobody likes trouble. We avoid it at all costs. If you happen to enjoy trouble, please let me know. And when I have some, I'll give you mine. I'm not saying be a glutton for trouble. But what I am saying this, you can find God in the middle of your trouble. I would never wish on my worst enemy the agony and torment I went through in about two and a half years of our struggle with anxiety. I never wish that on my worst enemy. But I'd also never trade it for anything in the world. Because I learned a closeness and dependence on God that I had never known before. Trouble can have a hidden benefit in your life. How many know if you have plenty of money and you have your money in health, you don't need God? Now, you do, but we live like we don't. I don't care how much money you make. If you make 1000 a month or 100000 or a $1 million a month, you can still run into a financial wall that says it's all over. Amen. Can I tell you, friends, I pray and I thank God every day for provision, but you know what? My little plastic cards work well. My debit card works. My credit card works. My check doesn't bounce. But if there's ever a day when they're not working, friends, can I, 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 I to tell you this from experience, you're going to pray more. Amen. You're going to pray more because you know, listen, that unless God helps you, you're not going to make it. And if you pray yourself through a difficult situation, if you pray yourself through a bankruptcy, if you pray yourself through the loss of a job, listen, it's one thing if employment benefits last 100 weeks and you can fish every other day. Are you with me today? But it's another thing if they stop. And you have to start praying and seeking God. And you really believe at that point that your tithe opens a door for God's provision. And your offering is like a seed. And before you know it, you've got to the other side of the thing. And the bad trouble is behind you in your finances. And you found out that you made it not only all right, but you're doing better off now than you were before. How many know your faith has grown exponentially? And it took the trouble to bring the faith out of you. And this is exactly what James is talking about. James is not foolish. He's not high or on drugs. He's not saying be happy when trouble comes. But what he's saying is there's a hidden benefit in your troubles. That you can find a depth in God if you don't run away from him, if you don't get mad of him. If you don't quit while you're in prison, you'll find a good God on the other side. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. You see, that worked in Joseph. It was 13 years in prison that turned him from an arrogant boy with a dream to a man at 38 that could handle the pressure of success 
and still give glory to God. Let me close with the last little Facebook uh, conversation. Zachariah and Elizabeth, two New Testament figures, a husband and a wife. They were, he was a priest and serving the Lord. And here's what they said. Keep doing right while you're waiting. Now that's a challenge for all of us. When I say keep doing right, I mean keep serving the Lord. Keep living by the ways of God. If the season is dark and it lasts a long time, make the choice to keep doing right. Now here's their story. Zachariah and Elizabeth, he's a priest. They're both righteous, godly people. And they wanted what all of us want. They want a child. I look at the joy of those who had children. I remember when Hannah and Ryan got married. And they didn't have any babies. And they were just single and happy and living life. And she's working around the church. And he's wanting to go in ministry and serving the Lord. And before you know it, they have a little baby. And little Ava comes in their world. And now I have to bribe her to get any attention from her. But, but before you know it, a baby comes in your life. And then another child comes in your life. And the joy that it brings. See, I watch that and it brings me great happiness. But I've also watched people who are barren and can't have a child. I've watched people who love God just as much as they do. And for whatever reason, they weren't able to have a baby. Well, Zachariah and Elizabeth had this, but they were on the pinnacle of living right and doing the right thing. And the thing about it, they did it for a long time. We don't know how old they were when they got married. Let's say they were 20. We don't know how old they were when they couldn't have a child, when his priestly duties stopped or ceased. But let's just say for a round number, it's around 60. So we've got about 40 or 45 years of waiting to have a baby. And what they didn't know was John the Baptist was going to come to them one day. Outside of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, Jesus Christ said, there's been no one else born of a woman greater than this man. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. He was the one who proclaimed Jesus is coming. He, he baptized, some scholars believe, hundreds of thousands of people into repentance. But here's their story. There was a priest named Zechariah, and he had a wife, Elizabeth. They're both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments. They had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and they're advanced in years. Here's the problem. They wanted to have a child, but couldn't. But for God, the issue was timing. But for them, the issue was their choice. It is very easy for me to have faith when things go well. I am deeply grateful to God that my wife recovered from breast cancer. I'm grateful to God. She saw our oncologist the other day, and the oncologist said, you don't have to see me for a year. You're doing great. I'm grateful beyond words. I have a friend that pastors in Fort Worth, a godly man, a great preacher. He also had a wife that got brain cancer, and she died. I cannot explain that away easily. For me now, it's easy to have faith after the baby's born, after the wife is healed. But how about if you're in the valley like that? How about if you're like Acts 12, and it says James was arrested by Herod and beheaded with no explanation? And then Peter is in prison to be beheaded next, and an angel shows up. I don't understand sometimes why Satan is allowed the freedom he has to come against a godly man like Job. But sometimes, friends, it's simply a case of waiting for the timing of God. And the choice that I have to make and you have to make is, will I continue to believe and serve the Lord even in a long season of waiting? Will I serve the Lord like Zechariah and Elizabeth? Will I be righteous and blameless? even though God's not doing what I've asked him to do, what he's promised to do, 
and what he said he would do, do I still have the courage to do right even when it's hard? And that's the advice Zechariah and Elizabeth gave him. Now, they had their baby. (laughs) They had John the Baptist when they sent that text, but they lived it until the day the baby was born. Are you with me today? Keep doing right even when it's hard because God is a faithful God. Give him a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning, and I want us to give just a moment. Let's take just a couple minutes and ask the Holy Spirit to come and be in our midst. Ask Him to come and kind of seal this. Just a second, you're going to go out, and hopefully you'll get some snacks, some fruit or a donut in our cafe. they got a Bible class at 1045. Maybe you're heading out, stop, buy a ticket to the movie, or or make sure you get some voter material. I voted uh, last Thursday. All the stuff I got out there helped me a lot. But before you switch off this morning, what is the Lord saying to you? This is a prescription for trouble. Let me just briefly review what we learned in that little text thread this morning. They'll put it on the screen, our summary. The first thing that we learned this morning for some godly man, here we go, the persistent widow, she said, Joseph, keep the right attitude. Don't give up no matter how long you have to wait. David sent him a text, Joseph, you can find strength in the Lord when life is overwhelming. Abraham said, wait on God's timing, Joseph. Don't force the situation. The great apostle James said, trouble can develop your character and maturity. And this godly couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, said, keep doing right while you're waiting. Let's close your eyes a moment and just, I want you to have a moment to commune with God. And whatever the Holy Spirit may be saying to you, I I just want to encourage you to say yes. Just say yes to the Lord. Some of us, I believe the Lord is speaking to me now. Your spouse is not where they need to be in their walk with God. You've tried to pressure them and conjole them and threaten them and done everything you know to do. Trust God for His timing. Keep living a righteous and a godly and a blameless life. Some of you are in the midst of a financial difficulty. There's pressure in your life. You wonder where in the world is God? Faithfully tied, have trusted the Lord. The Lord said to you, He's been faithful before, He'll be faithful again. Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and He'll put food on your table, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Come and reach out to heaven with me. Welcome, Holy Spirit. You're the God that's bigger than trouble. You're the God that's the rock. You're an ever-present help to us. In Jesus' name. Hey, we're going to close this way. I'm going to have our prayer team come to the front. We do this every service. And if you need prayer for anything in your life, we'd be honored to pray for you. Particularly if this message has touched something keen in your heart. Let's, let's pray for you this morning. Maybe someone you care a lot about. Maybe they're a Jonah. Maybe they're running from God. You want to pray for them? We'll pray about anything. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray this morning is about your personal relationship with God. See, maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, my greatest need today is I need to get right with God. God's been not in the center of my life where He belongs. He's been out on the edges. Many of you are here today and you say, Pastor, I kind of had a relationship with God when I'm in trouble. I call out to Him. But when trouble's over, I kind of go back to my own life. Well, listen, friends, that can change today. What Jesus is looking for is he's looking for relationships that last every day. 
Jesus is looking for followers. He's looking for people that would believe on him, invite him to be their savior, and then follow him as their Lord. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've tried to find happiness and peace in many other things in life. I I did. When I was 19 and I came to Christ, I tried to find happiness through how many people I could go out with, how many friends I had, and how much I could drink, and how much I could smoke, and it's all uh, success on the ball field. But I found that there was like a bucket with a hole in the bottom of it, and I'd fill it up, and next day it would drain out and be empty again. Can I tell you, Jesus can fill that hole in your life. You were not made to live this life apart from God. But there's a starting place for your relationship with God by you praying and inviting Him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And if that's you, we'd be honored to pray with you in that very prayer today. In just a moment, when they begin to sing, our prayer team is going to come around the front. They'll pray for any needs. But you that are needing to get right with God and want Jesus to change your life, I want to encourage you to slip out of your chair and come to the cross. I promise you we won't embarrass you, but we'll pray with you as you make the greatest step of your life. A step you'll never regret. Let's go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Nick. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now, and we'd be honored to pray for you. And those of you that the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart to get right with God, you come and let us pray. I love you. Before you're dismissed, I just want to remind you, if you're new, hey, they want you to stop by the Connect Room and meet some people. Let them introduce you to our church and tell you a little more about us this morning.